Thanks for joining us for Parkview On The Go. I'm Nathan, the online pastor at Parkview, and I am glad you're here. We're the kind of church where regardless of your past or your story, you can take a step toward God. That means whether you've been around church for a while or just a little bit, you have a step to take and we want to help you discover what that is. I want to start by sharing a really cool story. If you've been part of our community for any amount of time, you know that we love to be outrageously generous with our resources. And one of the ways we were able to do that just a couple weeks ago was to provide relief for 2,000 individuals in Texas who during the power outage needed water, food, blankets, lanterns, and cleaning supplies. I tell you that so you can see the widespread impact your generosity is having. So if you're a regular supporter of Parkview's ministry, thank you. We believe living generously is the best way to live. So if you'd like to start giving, visit parkviewchurch.com slash give to set up a recurring gift. And before we get started, I want to let you know one more thing. Easter, yes, Easter is right around the corner, and we're excited that we have the opportunity to meet both online and in person this year. Just like we did at Christmas time, if you're planning to attend an in-person gathering at one of our campuses, you'll need to reserve tickets. You can do that and find information about all of our service times at Easter at Parkview.com. Thanks again for being here today. Enjoy the service. So good to see everybody around here at Parkview this uh, weekend. Want to say hello to all the campuses, by the way, uh, around here at Orland, everybody out at New Lenox. Hello to you, everybody at Homer Glen. Uh, love you all at Homer Glen, everybody online this weekend, wherever you may be around the nation or the world. Uh, so glad that you're here, and it's just good, uh, good to be together. And uh, listen, I, I know uh, I get to talk with so many of you and interact with you during the week, especially through different social platforms and things like that. And, and I know as we come into uh, this weekend and, and we uh, start to head into an Easter season, in the coming weeks and month, we're coming to Easter, right? Uh, I know that lots of us uh, come from different places. Some of us have had a really good week and things are going good opening back up and the job and things like that. And it just felt like a good week. And, and there's others who, as we gather this weekend, uh, have not had a great week. You know, there's some of you who come in here and it's been like, this has been a really hard week and, and uh, with family or somebody in the hospital or something with your job or something like that. And uh, I just want you to know that I get that. And some of you come into the Easter season and you have lots of faith in God and trust in him and you're singing these songs out that we're singing just a moment ago and you're just ready to be here. And then there's others of you who are still trying to go, I'm not sure if he's like enough for me like that. And and you're you're still trying to investigate and, and have questions. So I just want you to know that I get that. That we're kind of all coming from different places as we gather here on a weekend like this and heading into Easter. And I just want to say I'm glad that we're together. And wherever we are in our journey, that we can continue to grow and study together. We're entering this brand new series this week called Famous Last Words. And in this series, we're, we're looking at the last words of Jesus on the cross 
Uh, There were seven different things that Jesus said from the cross, uh, different phrases and words that that lead us up to Easter and the resurrection. And and we're going to get to that in coming weeks, but in order to get to that exciting time of Easter, we also have to endure some of the cross and crucifixion and some of the things that he said. And so today, I want you to know as we start this series, as we enter into the study of Jesus, some of Jesus' last words, I want you just to have the context. And that is that we're, Jesus, at this point that we're going to study this weekend, has been on the cross for about six hours. So he's already been there for six hours on the cross. And, and, and we know this, but in, in, during Jesus' life, He said a lot of things that only he could say, that we couldn't say. He said things, you know, like, I and the Father are one. Or if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We can't say that. And he says things like, you know, take your mat and walk. Or he even says things like, we're going to study, like, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Or he says, it is finished. Those are all kinds of things that none of us can say. But here's what's amazing about this weekend. The first thing we're getting ready to study, six hours into Jesus on the cross, he says something that we all say. We say this all the time. Here's what Jesus says that we're going to study. I am thirsty. I'm thirsty. He's been on the cross six hours, and he's thirsty. And this is just kind of amazing to me as I think about it because I'm thinking, you're, Jesus is thirsty? I mean, just earlier, he has said he's living water. So water is thirsty? How, how, how does water need a drink? He, he's got in the flesh. He's, he's, he's living water. He's, how can he be parched? He's the same one who, you know, spoke condensation into the clouds, and, and yet he's thirsty. How does that happen? And I, start, I just start thinking about the humanity of that and how we all say that. I mean, I understand how I get thirsty. Anybody else get thirsty? I get thirsty all the time. I just need you to know this. I've been out to eat with some of you around Parkview, but if you go out to eat with me, just future warning, I get thirsty. Okay, if you're wait staff at like one of the restaurants that we come to, I, I'm, I'm, you're going to work. And I love you, waitstaff. God bless you, and I'm going to be generous to you. I'm not rude to you. I'm not even really picky about what I eat, but I'm going to need refills. Whether it's Coke or Pepsi or water, just keep them coming, okay? I get, I get thirsty. I do. When, when, I'm, when I'm at the gym, when I'm, when I'm working out, I, which is rare, um, <laughs> to be honest, especially the last year, it's kind of been a break, right? I'm taking a break. You know, I'm taking a COVID break from the gym. Anyway, I, man, I spend as much time putting water in my hydro flask as I do on the machines. I'm, I think I'm thirsty again. I'm, I'm just, when I'm on an airplane and, and, you know, and the steward comes by, you know, and they have the whole tray of water thing, can I, can I, can I, can I get you water? Can, does anybody want a water? I'm like, yes, I would like a water. I'll, t- I'll take several waters. I take multiple waters from the steward. And they're like, really? Can you do this? I'm like, I, I just need them. I'm thirsty. When I'm, when I'm preaching, I get thirsty. The, the last thing I do before I step out here on stage is I guzzle, guzzle about half a bottle of water. As soon as I get done and I head back there, I, I guzzle some water. I, I'm a thirsty fellow. I get thirsty. Some of you are like that too. And here's the thing. I get that, that I get thirsty. 
But when it comes to what we're studying today, for living water to need water? How does that work? What's going on here? Why is this even recorded on the cross with all of these other things that seem so big and huge and Savior-like? Well, here's what I want us to realize today. We're going to dive into this. There's something physical going on, obviously. But there's also something very spiritual and prophetic going on. When Jesus says, I am thirsty. So here's what let's do. Let's dive into this today. If you have a Bible, if you have a smartphone, a tablet, whatever you find scripture on. John chapter 19 is where we're going to be a lot this weekend. We're going to be in a couple other places too. But John chapter 19, here's what it says. After this, he's on the cross. Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished in order that the scripture would be fulfilled, said, I am thirsty. And a jar full of sour wine was standing there at the foot of the cross. So they put a sponge full of sour wine on a branch of hyssop and they brought it up to his mouth. So he's been there, he's on the cross, he says he's thirsty. And, and here's the interesting thing about this. Some of you who studied the Bible some or remember some things from the Bible. Earlier when Jesus was on the cross... He'd been through all this torture and all these things. I'm sure he was thirsty. And they offered him something to drink earlier on the cross. But he didn't take it. He refused it. It talks about this. This is just a little while earlier in Mark chapter 15. It says this. And the soldiers tried to give Jesus some wine mixed with myrrh to drink, but he refused it. So this is just a little bit earlier, and he refused that drink. So what's going on here? What's going on with Jesus on the cross? Why did he refuse that drink? Well, it's because of what was in that first drink that they offered him. It was the myrrh that was mixed with the wine. Everybody say myrrh. Myrrh. Sounds really good with masks, by the way, too. It was the myrrh mixed with the wine, right? And what myrrh was is myrrh was kind of like a narcotic. Myrrh was like a painkiller. You remember when Jesus was born and the wise men came and they brought him the gifts and they brought him gold and frankincense and what? Myrrh. So these represented and prophesied what Jesus was going to be. He was going to be a king. He was going to be a priest. And then the myrrh was prophesying that he was going to die. Myrrh is something you gave to people who were dying. There was no Advil. How many of you know there wasn't any Advil? No, no, no Vicodin, no Oxycontin in Jesus' day. So what they would do is they would mix myrrh with wine and then they would give that to people who were in pain. And so why would these Roman executioners, these people with Jesus on the cross, remember we're looking at his last words, the last moments of his life, why would they try and give him this drug to drink, this, this myrrh to drink? Well, I assure you, it wasn't because of their humanitarian you know, hearts. It wasn't just, oh, we're so kind. The, the real reason that they gave him this first drink, again, that he refused, even though I'm sure he was thirsty, the reason he refused it is because, again, what was in the drink. And the reason they gave it to him or wanted to give it to him is because crucifixion was excruciating. It was a terrible way to die. And it oftentimes took people hours and hours and hours to die on the cross. Sometimes it took days. 
There are some people who hung on the cross and they finally just gave out and they suffocated. It took days for them to die. And here's the thing. The people, the guards who were standing around with those criminals on the cross, they had to stay there until the person died. They had to guard them. So these guys, the people guarding they really didn't want to sit around for hours and hours and hours and hear somebody in agony and hear somebody screaming and that sort of thing. So what do they do? They offer them a drugged drink to take away some of the pain, to, take, to, to, to help knock that down. And so he wouldn't be, they wouldn't hear his suffering and his screaming. And so Jesus refuses it. Why? Because he is committed to feeling our pain and the humanity We talk about oftentimes how Jesus knows and experienced and has felt what we feel. This is part of that. Understanding what we go through, every ounce of physical and emotional pain that we go to, he can relate to us, so he refuses the drink that has the myrrh in it. But then in his final moments of life, he says that I am thirsty. And so what happens when he says that? Several things I want us to see that happen when he says I am thirsty. Thirsty. If you're taking notes, here's the first thing that I am thirsty should mean to us. It showed that Jesus is truly human. That's why he thirsts. Human beings thirst. Do you realize? I hadn't even really realized this until I started really digging into this again and afresh the last few weeks. This is the only place that Jesus even comments on his pain and his anguish of all of this. He's been tortured, he's been beaten, he's had a crown of thorns crushed down on his skull. It says that they spit on him, the Bible says that they plucked out his beard. He's been whipped over and over and over with this thing called the cat of nine tails dozens of times. And so he already has hundreds of lashes across his back before he ever even goes to the cross. But this is the first we're hearing of his pain of his anguish, that he is thirsty. He probably hasn't slept in like 24 hours. He probably hasn't had anything to drink for at least 12 or 24 hours with everything he's been through with the trial and the persecution and all that kind of stuff. He's dehydrated, he's tired, he's exhausted, he's thirsty, he's human. He's human. And the reason I bring this up to us this weekend at Parkview, all around our city, at all of our campuses, is because There are people, certainly in our world, who don't believe that Jesus actually was really human, that he didn't feel our pain, that he wasn't God in the flesh and human. In fact, there are major religions of the world, and I'm not going to take time to go into all of them this weekend, this is not a comparative religion message, but just trust me on this, and you can go look at this. Look at some of the major other religions of the world. Many of these other religions don't believe that Jesus actually died on the cross. They believe on the cross he was transferred with someone else and someone else died. Jesus didn't really die, or he endured the cross. He wasn't really human and died. Many world religions would, would, would say that. And, and here's what I want to say to us. That takes away from what God did and what God became from us. And it's just as out of bounds to deny his humanity as it is his deity and divinity. Yes, this is God who created, you know, the, the snow and the rain and the oceans and the icebergs. This is God who invented H2O. But yet now, he's thirsty. 
He could have done a miracle, caused it to rain, to quench his thirst, but instead, the Bible says that he became like us. He became a man and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Maybe one of the best descriptions of this is in the book of Philippians in the Bible. Check this out. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 6, says, Who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. In other words, he could have called things down. He didn't. He became, he became human. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. He became completely human but was without sin and being fully God and, and, and fully man and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And, 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 and as I get into this study, you know, uh, for the last few weeks, I don't know about you, but for me, I don't really like seeing Jesus on the cross and I don't, I don't like seeing him struggle and I, I'd much rather see Jesus commanding the waves or the wind or healing people. But it's so important, I think, Parkview, we don't do this very often. There's not a lot of weekends around here that we do this. But I think it's very important for us as followers of Jesus to realize and really metabolize that he became like us. He became human. He relates to us in our humanity. And if you're going through hard things, he understands he went through hard things. If you're going through some pain in your life, he's been through some pain in his life. And he didn't sidestep it. It shows us that he's truly human. And then another thing we can learn that takes us beyond the physical into uh, the spiritual is this. Again, if you're taking notes, another thing this shows us is it shows us that Jesus was the promised Savior. When he says, I am thirsty... It shows he's the promised Savior. Again, we've read this already in John, but it says in order that Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. So what's that about? I mean, for me and you, right, if, 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 if we're working out, if, if we're being beaten or something, we would just be like, no, I'm thirsty. But, but it, it's prefaced by saying, so that Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. So there's more to it than just the human side of being thirsty. What's going on here? Well, here's the thing. For several thousand years, in, in the Old Testament of the Bible, the, the, very, the first part of your Bible, this is the Old Testament part of your Bible there at the beginning, God had been telling people, I'm going to send a Savior. I'm going to send a Messiah. I'm going to send the Messiah. I'm going to send the Savior. And, and he'd been telling people this for, for, for hundreds of years. And through the Old Testament of the Bible, there's like 380 predictions or prophecies about what this Messiah will be. And there's people who claim to be the Messiah who came and went and never fulfilled them all. But what, what happens is it talks about who this person would be and what they would do. And that's why Jesus says some of the things he says. For instance, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, some of these different predictions and prophecies, I don't have all 380 of them here. That would, that would be like the whole series. That's all we would do every week for, forever. There's a lot of them. But here's just a few of the predictions about the Messiah. One is that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. That, that's predicted centuries earlier in the Old Testament, and, and Jesus was, right? They said that's what happened with the Messiah. It is predicted that the Messiah will be taken to Egypt 
as a young kid, as a, as a, as a baby, and he was, Jesus was. It, it says the Messiah will be raised in Nazareth. It calls this out in the Old Testament. It prophesies this. Jesus was. It says he'll do all kinds of miracles. This person who's the Messiah, the Savior, will do all these miracles. Jesus did all kinds of miracles. It even says that he'll be betrayed by a friend. This person will be betrayed by a friend. That's how you'll know it's the Messiah, it's the Savior. Enter Judas Iscariot, right? We'll come to that later on, closer to Easter. It even says prophetically in the Old Testament that Jesus, or the Messiah, would die on a cross, would be hung and have their arms spread on a cross. And here's what's amazing about that. This is predicted and prophesied in the Bible in the Old Testament a thousand years before Romans even invented crucifixion. So it's presented in the Bible of how he'll die, how he'll be stretched out, but they, hadn't, they didn't even have a cross yet. It, it, just, it was predicted that that's how he will die. And, and Jesus is fulfilling all of these things, right? For the Messiah, it talks about how people will gamble for his clothes, and indeed they did when he was on the cross. It talks about how no bones in his body will be broken, and indeed none of Jesus' bones were broken. A lot of times when a criminal was hanging on the cross, they would break some of their bones so that they couldn't push up and, and they would suffocate quicker. They didn't have to do that with Jesus because he, didn't, he wasn't there that long, and so none of his bones were broken, just like it says would happen. Another one of those prophecies in the Old Testament, it says he'll be buried in a person's tomb that no one has been buried in, and that also happened. It also says he'll come back to life, you know, in three days. And that's a hard one to do, by the way. And, and yet he did it. And yet he did it. And so at this point, understand Jesus, again, is six hours, around six hours or so on the cross. And he's meeting all of these things, it says, so that the scripture would be fulfilled, he said. And there were still a few things left to be fulfilled. And that's why he also says, I'm thirsty. So that he could fulfill some of those. Check this out in, in the Bible in Psalm chapter 69. This goes way back into the Old Testament of the Bible. This is written by David centuries ago. Psalm chapter 69 is, is known as a messianic psalm. Meaning it's written by David, but it's pointing to the Messiah. It, it, what will happen when this person actually comes. And it says centuries earlier... They offer me sour wine for my thirst. Remember what happens with Jesus and we've been reading in John 19? He says, I am thirsty. What do they do? They take the hyssop branch and remember what it says? John 19, we already read this earlier. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine that was sitting right there on a branch of hyssop and they brought it up to his mouth. And so I just, want, I just want us to be able to continue to get into our heads. The, the book of Psalm and the book of John are separated by centuries. They're centuries apart. And yet they're both prophesying and talking about this same person, the Messiah, that will come and give his life for us. And that's what Jesus does when he says, I am thirsty it again fulfills another prophecy of bringing the sour wine to him that they talked about. And so Jesus is fulfilling through all of these things we're studying today and we're going to study over the next few weeks. He's fulfilling prophecy after prophecy after prophecy after prophecy. All 380 prophecies, in fact, in one person. And it shows, him saying I am thirsty shows that indeed, 
He is the Savior. He's the promised Messiah. And then there's one other thing. There's probably many, but there's one other thing that has been on my heart and I've been thinking about when Jesus says, I am thirsty. And I want us to consider it today. But before we consider this last thing, or you write it down in your notes or your Bible or your smartphone or whatever, I want us to pause for just a moment and I want us to pray. And I know that may sound a little bit strange because, you know, a lot of times you're thinking, okay, okay, Todd, we're going to pray right now. Does it mean we're done? No, I mean, because a lot of times we'll pray at the beginning. A lot of times, you know, we'll usually pray at the end. But, but here we are like two-thirds of the way through the message and we're going to pray. You're going to pause right now and pray? Yeah, I'm going to pause right now and pray. Well, why are we going to do that? Here, here's why. It's because there's a big difference between information and transformation in our lives. And all of the things that we've been studying over the last 20 or so minutes here have been incredible and true information about Jesus and him being persecuted and his beard being plucked out and being struck with the cat and nine tails and being offered the myrrh mixed with wine to drink. These are all incredible, true things, great information for us. But only when we take that information and accept it into our lives does it become transformation. Amen? What I'm saying is there's a lot of people around Chicagoland, a lot of us around our campuses, and we know a lot about God. We know a lot about the Bible. We know a lot about Jesus. We have the information. But it has not necessarily become transformation in our lives, even though we know it, because we haven't accepted it and metabolized it and lived it out. And so I want to just pause right now and pray that as we look at this last little thing that Jesus did for us, that it would be transformational, not just information. Can we do that? If you're comfortable, if you're comfortable, bow your head. God, right now, I just ask that you would continue to help our hearts, our minds, our spirits, As we study, God, I I trust every single week that while we're studying and while I'm talking that you're working. God, I thank you for the things that we can study so far. The incredible event and history and truth. God, I also pray that in the next few moments you will help us be transformed as we move from just information to belief and acceptance in our lives. It's in God's Son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One more thing if you're taking notes. When Jesus said, I am thirsty on the cross, here's one more thing it did. It showed his love for us. It really did. In so many ways. You know this verse in Romans. God demonstrated his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still doing our own thing, while we were still keeping him at arm's length, he went ahead and died for us so that we could be set free. One of the big things I want us to realize from this study today is is this idea that only the one who hung on the cross and said, I am thirsty, 
can take away your thirst. Only Jesus saying, I am thirsty, can actually take away our thirst. It's true. You know, when, when my kids were little, I, I think about when they were five, six years old, five years old and three years old, Ruby and Cole. We had just moved out to California, and we were taking our kids to Disneyland for maybe the first or second time. And you know, if you've ever taken kids to Disneyland, which, I, by the way, I think is reopening, uh, which is exciting. I heard this weekend it's opening for like zero, you know, 6% or something like that, maybe. I don't know. It's 47 people, so it's probably a good time to go. Anyway, um, so we were taking our little kids to Disneyland. They were like five years old and three years old. They were, you know, preschool kind of age for sure. And we spent the whole day there. It was about an hour drive from us from where we lived. We spent the whole day. We stayed all the way through the parade, which most of you know that means till 9 or 10 o'clock at night. Everybody's completely exhausted. We, we get back on the train. We get back out to our car at 10 o'clock at night. We, get, we put both of the little kids, you know, in their big booster seats, and we lock them in their booster seats, and we get ready for the hour drive back home. And our son, Cole, who was little, three or four years old, has crashed out. We were all were so tired. He's already out. You know, he's in his booster seat asleep. My daughter, Ruby five or six years old, needs to sleep, but she's not sleeping. Some of you know this. She's, she's, she's keeping herself awake, and she keeps saying things like, I'm, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. It's not I'm thirsty, but I'm hungry. Please, please, you know, and you just want to, bit, bit, you know. We finally, I'm like, okay, so she's, gonna, she's not going to go to sleep. Let's get some food. And so we're driving along the freeway, and we see, like, the holy grail of food, in and out Burger. And uh, so we stop at In-N-Out, not so much for them, but for me. Um, and we get some food, and we get Renee and I something to eat, and we get a little, you know, tub of fries, and we hand that little tub of fries. Cole's already asleep. We hand that little tub of fries to Ruby, and we get back out on the freeway, and it's just, it's perfect. It's just completely quiet. And I'm thinking, oh, that's good. Cole's asleep, and she's chowing down on the fries. And then Renee turns around and looks back there, and she says, Todd, you're not going to believe this. And Ruby is completely asleep, holding a fry. Just holding on to it, hasn't even eaten any, just completely asleep with her fries. And, and what's crazy is what, what she wanted and what she needed were not exactly the same thing. And I think it's the exact same way so many times with me and God and probably you and God when we try and quench our thirst and we try and fill our thirst and be fulfilled in our life from all kinds of things that aren't him. And I know that sounds so weird probably to some of you, and how can Jesus quench my thirst? And but he does when you come to him and spend time with him. But so many times we say things like, you know what, if I just had a best friend, if I could get a best friend, I would be fulfilled. If I really had a good friend, that would quench my thirst. Or if I could just get into a good college, if I could get into a good college, if I could get a good degree, if I could get a great job, that would be it. I mean, I would, that would be so fulfilling. That, that, I, I would be quenched. If I could just get a good job that paid good and I could live wherever I wanted, if I could just get married, if I could just marry him, oh, I would be so happy. I would be so quenched. If I could just marry her, I, I would be so fulfilled. If we just have a baby, if we just had a baby, well, we just need to have a baby. Then we'd be so fulfilled. If we could just, if we could just buy a house, if, if, if we could just sell, a, sell our house, if we could just renovate our house, whatever it is, then we'd be so fulfilled. And, and here's, here's the thing. All of these are good things. They're all good goals and they're all good dreams that we have in our lives. But here's what I want us to realize. They're fries. 
They're fries. They're going to get cold. They're not going to satisfy very long. Not going to taste good after a while oftentimes. These temporary things that I, myself, and I'm sure so many of you try and satisfy our lives with, they don't quench our thirst very long. There's only one person who can really bring that peace and quench that thirst and bring that fulfillment in our lives, and that's Jesus. Everything else is just kind of fries. There's this place in the Bible in in the book of John. I'm going to wrap it up with this. In the book of John chapter 7, we've been studying in John chapter 19, but if you go a little bit more to the left in John chapter 7, there's this place where Jesus is a little bit earlier in his ministry, and he's at this thing called the Festival of the Tabernacle or the Festival of the Shelters, and that's probably what it says in your Bible in But what it is, it's one of the big three festivals for Jewish people that they celebrated every year. So it's this big, huge event that's going on for people, for the Jewish people. It's the last of the three. And I want you to see what Jesus does in John chapter 7. Take a look at this. It's the last day or the climax of the festival. This is when it's all going down. And Jesus stood and he shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. He doesn't just pull a few people around and say, okay, hey, 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 guys, gather around. If you're, if you're feeling thirsty, if you're feeling unfulfilled, you, you can come to me. No, he, he shouts out, hey, hey, if you're thirsty, this is long before he says it on the cross, you can come to me. And I just, I feel like today, as we're here this weekend, there's no doubt that Jesus is, is calling out and saying, hey, are, are you thirsty spiritually? Are you searching? Are you wondering about God? Are, are you thirsty emotionally? Are you thirsty relationally? Are you kind of bored with life a little bit? Are you a little bit frustrated with life? And let me ask you this. Don't, don't raise your hand. Don't, don't smile. Don't amen. But do you ever think, man, there's got to be more. There's got to be more to this life. If you feel that way at all, Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. He goes on in verse 38. He says, anyone who believes in me. That's the transformation part. Not just knows about me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scripture declares that rivers of flowing water will flow from his heart. Jesus says, anyone who believes in me. And so I would just say again, as as we hear this weekend, do do you you ever feel kind of bored or numb with life? Do you ever ever feel unsatisfied? Are you at a place right now in life where you're just kind of feeling unsatisfied? Some anxiety towards it? You know what? There's a word for that. You're thirsty. And we all get thirsty. Getting thirsty is a human thing. And and we can quench some of our temporary thirsts with temporary things. But those deep down thirsts that really stick in our souls, those can only be quenched by Jesus. And so the one who hung on the cross and said, I am 
thirsty is really the only one who can quench your thirst. Everything else is a bunch of fries. And so here's the way we're going to wrap up today. We're going to have the band share a song with us that talks about Jesus' love and sacrifice and how it's a game changer for us. But before they sing the song for us and we get to absorb it, before they do that, we're going to have just a minute or 90 seconds of just quiet, just a little bit of music. And if you're comfortable with this, I'm I'm not sure where you are in your life and your journey and your faith and all those things. But if you're comfortable, I want you to be able to just have some time with God before we head back out into a new week and, and world. And maybe today is the day where you, you need to say, you know what, I know all about the Bible, Todd. I know all about all those things you said about the cat and nine tails and the myrrh, the gold, the frankincense. I know all that stuff. But maybe today is a day where you need to say, you know what, Jesus, I believe in you. And I am thirsty. Would you come and fill me up in a way that all these other things haven't? I'm going to give you just a moment for that. And then the band's going to lead us and share this song with us. So just if you feel comfortable closing your eyes, have that time with God. I believe in you. I don't even know what it means, but I'm thirsty. Jesus, help fill me up. If you made a decision today to take a step toward God, that is awesome. We'd love to know about it and help you continue to grow. Visit parkviewchurch.com slash next steps. That's parkviewchurch.com slash next steps and fill out the short next steps form. That's the easiest way for you to let us know where you feel God is leading you. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his eyes toward you and give you his peace. See you next time.